0: Welcome to the Semi-Interesting Podcast, where we explore some of the unique legal issues in the global semiconductor industry. My name is Nathaniel Lusek, I'm an IP attorney at the law firm of Hodgson Russ, and one of your hosts.
1: I'm Elizabeth Morris, I'm an IP attorney and director of intellectual property and products at Pure Storage in Mountain View, California, and I am one of your hosts.
0: On today's episode, we're going to talk about invention disclosures. How do you maximize the number of invention disclosures that you receive, or rather, how do you know that you're not overlooking any invention disclosures that you should have received? There's lots of reasons why you'd want to maximize the number of invention disclosures coming in. You want to protect the intellectual property on your commercial products, obviously, but you also want to have a strong pipeline for things that are still in R&D and haven't hit the commercial shelves yet. You also might need those invention disclosures if you're an in-house counsel in order to hit your metrics. But where do you go to be sure that all your protectable IP is accounted for? And, And how can you be sure that all your inventors have submitted an invention disclosure? To talk about that today and more, we're joined by Sabra Ann Truesdale from Western Digital. Sabra, thank you so much for joining today. If you wouldn't mind, could you give the audience a quick introduction?
2: Hi everyone, my name is Sabra Ann Trusdale. I'm an in-house patent counsel at Western Digital. I've been here for a little over eight years. I'm one of six patent counsel um, that manage Western Digital's patent portfolio. And uh, my background was in computer science for undergrad and grad school. Then I went to law school, worked at a law firm for about a dozen years as a patent prosecutor, and then went in-house here at Western Digital. And so my main responsibilities are helping manage the patent portfolio, but also our female inventor program, which is called She Invents, and I'll talk about that later today.
0: So I, I have Western Digital products at home. I have hard drives. Can you give us a quick sense in terms of what the inventing force looks like at Western Digital and, and where everyone is located? How far are they spread out?
2: Sure. So it helps to know the history of Western Digital So Western Digital is actually a combination of three very large companies uh, that merged at different times. So originally, going back in chronological order, we had IBM. IBM invented the hard drive back in the 1950s. Now eventually, IBM decided to spin off its hard drive division, and that became Hitachi Global Storage Technologies. And then that became HGST, And then HGST was acquired by the company known as Western Digital. So in parallel, there was that Western Digital Company, which was started in the 1970s. So that Western Digital Company acquired HGST. And then later, that Western Digital Company, which included HGST, acquired SanDisk. So Western Digital is those three companies put together. So the legacy, there was the IBM hard drive division, which was HTST, included hard drives, but also solid state and research, pure research. And then we had the legacy Western Digital Company, which was pretty much hard drives, but some solid state. And then we had the Sandisk Company, which was all solid state. And so together we cover hard drives, we cover solid state, and we cover peer research in both those areas, the fundamental technologies underpinning hard drives and solid state drives. And then in terms of our footprint, it's the footprint of those three companies put together, you know, with some changes and consolidation over the years. So we are definitely an international company. We have large R&D centers in the United States, in India, in Israel, in Japan, We also have manufacturing. We manufacture our own products, kind of soup to nuts, you know, from the very base components of the SSDs and the HDDs all the way through to consumer products. We have manufacturing facilities, for example, in the Philippines and Thailand and uh, Malaysia. So we are definitely an international company. And then, of course, in addition to R&D and uh, manufacturing, then we have all our sales offices, et cetera.
1: Wow, it sounds like you guys are just everywhere and that that must be, you know, especially hard to keep in touch with inventors around the world and keep them feeling engaged and interested in uh, submitting invention disclosures. I know you teased about this just a little bit during your introduction. One thing that I'm very interested in because my own company has sort of a similar program. Is what is she invents As it's focus on female inventors, and how how does that work? Especially how does that work internationally?
2: So yes, yeah, she invents is our female inventor program, and the origin, the kind of reason why we created the program is because uh, we had read a report from the United States Patent Trademark Office, the USPTO. It was published back in 2019, called the Progress and Potential Report, and it found that although in the United States for the technical work workforce. Uh, it was about 20% female. When you look at the inventor population at the USPTO, the patent applications at the USPTO processes and issues, the females were only 10%. So although females were 20% of the workforce, they were only 10% of the inventor population. So we read that report and we said, hey, we should run our own numbers at Western Digital. So we ran our numbers and they were very similar. Around 20% of our technical staff was female and around 10% of our inventors were female. So we said, why is there this disparity? Like I said, it's not just Western Digital, it's pretty much every tech company worldwide, slightly different if you're in a biotech or chemistry area, because women are more prolific in those areas. But when you're talking about computer companies, our numbers are pretty standard with all the other companies. So we said, what can we do to fix this? Because ideally we would like the, the headcount percentage of female staff to be similar to the inventor percentage for that. That was the inception for the, the she Invents program. And so we started just thinking about it and running the numbers in late 2019. And then in early 2020, I started doing a literature review to say, you know, what has been done in this area? Because the USPTO report, the progress and potential report led a lot of companies to look at this and lots of work was starting to be done. So I was looking at what other companies have done and recommended. And I came across a lot of great resources. And then from all that information, we decided to, you know, kind of put the program together. So she invents really just refers to all of our efforts across, you know, many different areas. And so, you know, one of the efforts was sending a survey to all of our technical staff worldwide. It went out to 12,000 people, just asking them questions, you know, demographic questions so we could know who was answering without them giving us their name, because it was anonymous. And then, then correlating the demographic information with their patent experience inside the company and then also some of their views on patenting and being an inventor. So that was one aspect of the She Invents program was running the survey and analyzing the data. Another aspect of the She Invents program was an intranet site that I created so that anyone who was interested in, you know, any female technical staff who were interested in patenting could have a special place to go. We already had a patent page on our intranet but this one was specific to the female inventors and it had resources targeted at them. Of course, you know, any novice inventor could benefit, you know, from looking at their resources on the website, but there were additional resources for them. So when I created the intranet site, I thought, well, if I were a female technical staff and I didn't know anything about the patent program, you know, what did I need to know? So we had information on, for example, I drafted a document. So you have an idea, what do you do next? I mean, obviously, that's a good document for anyone to read in the company, but she invents was the impetus for creating the document. So now the document's out there, everyone in the company can see it and benefit from it, even though originally it was supposed to be a SheInvents resource. So that's just one example. Another example of a resource that everyone can benefit from was a video that explains how to complete our invention disclosure form. Um, when you're an inventor or a technical staff member and you want it, give your idea to the patent department so that they can evaluate it, you complete our invention disclosure form. And so I created a video that walks people through the questions on the form and specifically, why are we asking the questions from a patent point of view? Why is this important? Again, the impetus for creating the video was to help female inventors, but really it's beneficial to everybody. And then there are some resources on our internet site that are specific to female technical staff. For example we have a list of uh, selected patents that western digital owns where there's a female inventor listed and that can be helpful in case you want to find a female inventor at the company in a certain area for example to ask them a question maybe to mentor you about your invention disclosure so I keep that list going. That's just you know any patent that has a female inventor listed on it that we own. Similarly, I have a list of any profiles that people have done of female technical staff, whether inventors or not. And that's again, another way that not only can people find maybe a mentor in the company or someone to help them review their invention disclosure, but they can also say, hey, these women did it, I can do it too. You know, It's like, if you can see it, then you can be it. And so that's another resource that we have on our internet site. So that, that's another aspect of she invents, and then yet another aspect is mentoring. So we created some mentoring programs where we pair um, novice female technical staff with experienced inventors, they could be male or female, and together they work to create invention disclosures and submit them. And it's the senior inventors, the more experienced inventors, you know, uh, mentoring the, the junior women uh, inventors.
0: So based on the research and the feedback that you received, what kind of barriers were in the way of some of either your women, your female inventors or other underrepresented inventors to submitting invention disclosures? What, what do you think caused the gap between the 20% workforce, but only 10% inventorship rate.
2: Yeah, so in my literature review, I tried to find out you know, what other people had thought might be the causes of this gap. And so then when we created our survey, we, we deliberately asked questions to try and get at this information for our inventor population. So based on the survey, um, the possible root causes of this, we call it under participation in our invention process So the possible root causes were um, information gap, confidence gap, social norms, perfectionism, and imposter syndrome. So I'm going through them in order. Information gap refers to when a female technical staff or any any, novice inventor is not participating because they lack information about the patent process. So it could be information about that it even exists, you know, like not everyone at the company, even I wish, you know, I'm a patent attorney. I wish everyone knew that it existed, but you know, depending on your onboarding programs in each country, they may not know that we even have a patent process. And then if they do know that there's a patent process, they might not know the right ways to go about it, you know, and the best ways to go about it. And that's why, you know, I drafted the document about, I have an idea now what, or the video about how to complete our invention disclosure form. So that's one root cause is an information gap. The second root cause is confidence gap. So this is a question where maybe you have all the information but you feel like you don't. You feel like you're at a disadvantage. You feel like other people in the company have more information than you because there was never an effort made to show this is the level playing field. Everyone is getting the same information. So sometimes underrepresented inventors such as women will lack the confidence because they'll just think, oh, I must be missing something, or maybe there's more information out there and I just don't know it. So for us to to kind of clearly lay out the information and put it on an internet site so that everyone has access to it, that should help people with their confidence. And also just knowing you know knowing that they have the information and that it's sufficient and that they can go forward, that's part of the confidence gap. So then social norms as a root cause That's kind of the, you know, if you can't see it, then you can't be it. Typically, uh, at least up until recently in mass media, whether it's, you know, novels or TV shows or movies, you know, scientists and engineers used to be always shown as white males. So when you're an underrepresented group, whether based on gender, based on race or ethnicity or LGBTQ status or disability status, when those people are not portrayed in the mass media as being inventors, or scientists or engineers, then the, the people of those groups feel like, maybe I shouldn't be here. You know, there, there's, a, there's a reason, like maybe there's no one like me, you know, I'm unusual and maybe I shouldn't be pursuing this career or I shouldn't be trying to patent. I shouldn't be participating in the patent process. So those are the social norms. And so that's just one example of what we were trying to address with the intranet site for She Invents when we had, you know, here's a list of patents at our company with female inventors listed. So they did it. You can do it too. And also our list of profiles of female technical staff, you know, they did it. You can do it too. learn more about them, you know, see what you have in common by reading the profiles. Another possible root cause is perfectionism. So women, at least um, for underrepresented groups, they tend to want a document to be perfect before they submit it, for example, or any kind of project. So I don't know if you've heard the, the social science research, but there was a study done where there was a job listing and the job listing had like 10 requirements on it. And for women who were applying to that job listing, they only applied if they had all 10 of their requirements. And the male applicants would apply if they only had like five of their requirements. And that's just some kind of, I don't know why that is, but it's just the psychology of men versus women That the women just want to be 100% sure on everything, make sure they're totally prepared. And so the women would tend to filter themselves out unless they had 100% of the job requirements. Whereas the men would just be like, oh, that's fine. I can do half. You know, I'll learn the rest on the job or whatever. And so it's the same thing, though, when it comes to invention disclosures. So the women think, unless they've been, you know, trained and educated in our pattern process, they think, oh, I have to have all the answers. It has to be perfect. I have to have all my data lined up before they'll submit the invention disclosure. And so then sometimes they just filter themselves out. They self-select out of the process and they never submit it. Or it takes them so long to perfect it before they submit it, that it's too onerous. You know, it's too time consuming. Whereas the men will just like dash off a paragraph and submit it, which is not sufficient, you know, but it just shows the other end of the spectrum. So part of the, you know, battling this perfectionism root cause is to explain to the inventors what is actually needed when you submit an invention disclosure. How much information is needed? We don't need you, for example, to write the patent application. We definitely don't want you to write the patent application, you know. We want you to describe your idea in such detail that we understand how it works, but maybe you don't have to have all the experimental data to, you know, to back it up. You can submit your idea, we can give you feedback on it, then you can revise it and improve it. And so if you instead spend like two, you know hours and hours trying to make everything perfect, then you're never gonna submit it or you're only gonna submit like one or two a year because they take too long. So that's the perfectionism root cause. And then finally, there's imposter syndrome. If you're not familiar with imposter syndrome, it just has to do with the people who don't see themselves in certain roles, like the social norms that we were talking about, they tend to think, oh, if I actually made it into one of those roles, I must've, you know, I faked it or I cheated or I fooled people. I don't really belong here. So that's imposter syndrome. And so even if, you know, there's a woman, technical staff, and, you know, she got her engineering degree and she's working at the job and she's doing great, and she still thinks, oh, you know, I really don't know what I'm doing. So I shouldn't be participating in the patent process and I'm not as smart or my ideas aren't as good. That's the imposter syndrome. And so we just need to, you know, I think that if you, just use all these resources that we've put together, including the mentoring, that it would help people overcome the imposter syndrome.
1: It sounds like you have gone about the efforts of she invents at this, you know, at this very academic level, right? Where you have identified these specific things and tried to, really address each run, you know, with your with the video and the article for information gap and uh, the confidence gap, uh, making sure that everything was available to them on the website, you know, the the social norms with the profiles of these people, etc. Et it seems to me like it would have been very successful because you knew the data going in and you were working on addressing it. What have you seen? What has been the effect of being
2: in charge of this JanVets program? So, um, as I mentioned, we first started looking into the possibility of the program in late 2019 and early 2020. Then the pandemic hit. You know, we had all these grand ideas of, oh, I'm going to go on a road trip to all these offices, you know, around the world and talk to them about the program. And nope. So everything went virtual very fast. But so in terms of numbers, our fiscal year, which is, you know, how we do all our, you know, goals and and, and our, our statistics that we have to calculate. So our fiscal year runs from July 1st to June 30th. So we decided that the fiscal year ending June 30th of 2020 would be our baseline because we hadn't really done anything with the program at that point. We were just thinking about it and working on it behind the scenes. So that was our fiscal year 20. So we compared the data from that year, fiscal year 20, to the data from fiscal year 22. So that was the year ending on June 30th of 22. And we did just finish our next fiscal year, but we haven't run all the data from that yet. So we compared fiscal year 20 to fiscal year 22. We actually had great results. We had an 88% increase in female inventor participation. So if you're familiar with measuring representation of inventors, there are many, many different ways to calculate representation. What we decided to focus on was invention disclosures, as Nathaniel mentioned during the introduction, because that is the very first step of any patent process is to get the ideas from the inventors, enter them into a system, and then they can go forward from there. So we're focusing on invention disclosures and we're focusing on who is listed as an inventor for the invention disclosures, you could alternatively, or in addition, focus on who is the lead inventor or who submitted the invention disclosure. But currently we're just treating everyone the same who's listed as an inventor on an invention disclosure. So when we figured out our 88% increase, what we did was for a particular fiscal year, we would get the names of anyone who was listed on an invent- as an inventor on any invention disclosure, and we just have a list of unique names. And so then we said, which of these people were female? So so once we have a list of names for a fiscal year, anyone who was an inventor on any invention disclosure, then we said, okay, how many of those people are women? Okay, so we get that number for fiscal year 20. And then we got that number for fiscal year 22. And it increased by 88%. So we had the pool of women named on invention disclosures from fiscal year 20 to 22. That number went up by 88%, which is great. Yeah, that's
1: really incredible it's great to see that you put in place a program and you were addressing these specific issues and you've seen technical measurable increase over time that's a congratulations thanks
0: since this was such a resounding success i mean what what's next for it how can you expand it how can you bring it to other underrepresented groups or other areas of the company that are maybe maybe also suffer from the same under participation.
2: Yeah. So um as I mentioned, you know, while she invents focuses on women participating in our patent process, we do recognize that additional demographics are traditionally underrepresented when it comes to patenting, such as based on race and ethnicity, LGBTQ status, disability status, et cetera. We don't have those numbers for our staff, for example, at Western Digital, because that's not tracked. And so that's one issue. Like we started with with women because we had the data and that's more readily available. It's also possible for some companies, you could guess based on name, you know, the gender, but you can't guess based on name, LGBTQ, disability, etc. So we, we recognize that there are other underrepresented groups. And so as part of the program, when we identify information gaps, like I mentioned earlier, and we create resources to address those gaps, then the resources are available to everyone in the company, and hopefully they can help other underrepresented groups in addition to women. But the other thing that we do to to try and help people join the patent process is to have like a road show, not necessarily in person because we're still, you know, not necessarily in COVID times, but now we're in budget crunch, et cetera. So I've been doing virtual road shows that the road shows have been in name based on she invents, but it's addressing all these same root causes that could affect any underrepresented inventor, like imposter syndrome um, and social norms. So, so I have been arranging with our engineering groups to give a presentation to subsets of the engineering group, since we have thousands of people based on geography or based on business unit and trying to get the word out that way. And this way I can also publicize the resources that we've created so that people who want to get more involved in the patent process have a way of doing so.
1: You know, one thing that my company has been thinking about doing just wondering if you guys are doing this, is specifically presenting to particular ERG groups that, you know, uh, work on some of those. So I'm sure you have a women's ERG, but, you know, there tend to be others like that. Um, it's not something that we've even implemented ourselves yet, but I know our women's group is asking, but now I'm thinking that, you know, it would be really good to focus on uh, some of the other ERGs as well.
2: Yeah, I agree. Uh, we do have a women's ERG, and I have presented to them. And I'm also on the board of our women's ERG, which helps me figure out what they're working on and how she invents can help them and partner with them. So that's also beneficial for me to be more involved in our women's ERG called We.Win Women's uh, Impact Network. and But we do have other ERGs focusing on other affinity groups. And I have not done roadshows for them, but that's on the list of things. I'm, I'm kind of starting with the engineering groups instead and hoping that, you know, I can hit everyone that way too, you know, in the engineering groups. But the, definitely the affinity groups, like those employees who join affinity groups and are active affinity groups. They have a higher engagement level with the company. And so they would be good people to present to because they would really take it to heart and spread the word.
1: I could definitely see that. I mean, I would just love, I I know you were saying it's really hard to get data, you know, like you did for the 88%, but it would be so exciting if uh, I could figure out how to really replicate that in in another group. I know, um, We have a group in my company that is specifically for newer employees, and that's been a focus. We've had sometimes new employees just tend to be more diverse, at least at at our company. And so that can be a way to kind of spread the news. And they tend to be less informed about what patents are, so they're, you know, more interested in in learning too so i don't know that's another thing we're thinking about doing ourselves so
2: no that's a great idea that's probably the first other erg that i should get involved with because we do have one we call them like early career stage and so that they would be a good one to talk to
1: yeah and like maybe it doesn't like quite fit with one of these categories of underrepresentation but it's sort of is at least easy to measure right it's very easy to get from hr like how many people have been working here for less than five years that have submitted an invention disclosure Okay, to change topics just a little bit, as you were saying at the very beginning of your introduction, uh, Western Digital is a very worldwide company and has a lot of sites around the world because of its uh, predecessor companies that, that are now all part of uh, Western Digital. Have you found that some components of she invents or any other things that that you do to try to increase inventor engagement and, and disclosure um, submission have worked better or worse in particular geographies around the world?
2: Yeah, definitely. So I think that because we're in so many countries worldwide, and just the cultures are so different in those countries, then definitely something that works in one country may not work in another country. So one, one thing that's good um, is that in Israel, they were the ones who created the very first venturing program. And when they created it, it wasn't even part of She Benz. We just had a really prolific female inventor in Israel, and we had our patent department kind of representative in Israel. And together, they created the mentoring program. And it was the first female-focused mentoring program for our company. And I was not involved. You know, like they they created it on their own. You know, I was there in the kickoff meeting. And then we kind of brought them under the She Invents umbrella. But it was all their idea. And it worked great. You know, they were the ones that figured out, oh, we should have groups of, you know, roughly four people where you have the two junior female inventors, and then the two senior inventors, male or female, and that the goal was to create and submit invention disclosures. So those two people, the, the prolific female inventor and our patent department employee in Israel, they, they did all that. So that was great. And that program has been replicated now, especially in India. We did some up a very small pilot program in a US engineering team. But really, it's, um, it's gained traction in India. So in India, they expanded that idea. You know, in Israel, it was relatively small. I forget exactly how many teams they had, maybe like 10 to 15 teams. But in India, there are like dozens and dozens of teams, and they've been running it in phases because so many people want to do it. So that was an example of an idea that started in Israel and then worked really well other places. That's great. You know, I I think it's uh, really exciting and interesting that especially that program was sort of kicked off
1: by an especially excited, prolific inventor. I think the training champions is something that, you know, gets talked about in the context of trying to really, you know, help bring new people up. Um, It's too great to have a champion. But how do you get to the point where you have a good champion? Can you train them? You know, pieces like that.
2: Yeah, I think for India, Again, I'm not that familiar with Indian culture or our offices there, although a lot of my inventors are from there. But I've heard that in general, our engineering teams in India are just very excited, engaged and want to participate in programs. <laughs> so, so that was helpful. But I can also tell you that uh, we did other things. I guess one thing I didn't mention uh, with Invents is um, I mentioned that we have a listing of profiles of female technical staff. But I didn't say that we actually seeded that listing by partnering with our internal, like corporate marketing team, to create profiles. So, so we leveraged our internal team to write, you know, a profile about someone from the U.S. and then someone from India and someone from China and you know someone from Japan. And so those those profiles were then featured on the front page of our corporate intranet so that everyone could see them. And then, of course, they got added to the list of profiles on the She Invents page. But like, so that is a good way to get technical staff in various countries excited because look, we're highlighting one of your own from your country or your business unit. So that also helped, I think, get the excitement up in India. We also had as a kickoff when we were first starting the mentoring program in India, we had two virtual roundtables. One was about kind of more senior engineering leadership and me talking about the She Invents program and talking about just the importance of of patenting at that level. And then there was a second um, video conference where that was a panel of women who were more like junior or like mid level engineers and staff and with their experiences with inventing. And so I think that also helped get the um, the women in India interested in the program. And so by the time they had signups, like there was just a lot of interest. Because this has
0: been such a success, I mean, I assume that there's impetus internally to then continue this, grow it, see if you can expand it. So in terms of takeaways from this, besides the increased percentage in participation, I mean, what next steps are you thinking about? And then also... For those people at other companies that are listening that are thinking that this this is solves a problem that i have how do you port this over is it as simple as just having that resources on a website or is there another trick to it in order to implement it
2: so for our next steps we want to have more mentoring programs because those i think are the best way to get women over that hurdle of creating their first invention disclosure because it's like when you're trying to write a paper and you're staring at a blank page. It's the same thing when you're technical staff and you have an invention disclosure form. Like, where do I start, you know? If you can just get people, you know, kind of in the door and working on their first invention disclosure, then once they realize that it's not that bad, you know, and like, we're here to help them and they can revise it, you know, like once they send it to us, it doesn't have to be set in stone. They can improve it later. So the best way to teach them that is to have them be in a mentoring program but as i mentioned we don't have that you know the india mentoring program is pretty much up and running then then you run across an issue of okay too many people are applying to the program as a mentee how do you find the mentors right to staff the program that's another problem the israel program it ran once for one fiscal year and then it hasn't run again the u.s pilot program ran for one fiscal year it hasn't run again and so it's just we need to we need to expand the mentoring opportunities because it's, it's really benefits any first time inventor, you know, to be mentored, but we have limited resources and the, the mentors who are available. So currently for the mentoring programs, the mentees need to be female technical staff. So, but, but that's the main thing for us to do is to expand these mentoring programs, but it takes a lot of time, you know, like the engineering group has to be on board with it. Somebody has to administer the program. I can't do it, you know, like, and then And then we need all the mentors you know to meet with the mentees and obviously it takes time on the mentees part too but it's like you know it's their decision if they want to participate in the program but if the mentees want to participate we need to find the mentors you know so that's the main thing that we need to do is expand the mentoring programs in terms of other companies addressing this problem i mean i mentioned a lot of specific things that we did at our company and i think doing any of them is better than doing nothing you know I mean, we're spreading information, we're trying to normalize, you know, women being inventors. But, you know, beyond what I said, if you want some kind of organized set of, you know, suggestions for what to do, there are several resources out there that I used um, when I was creating the program. So there's the Intellectual Property Owners Association, I'm trying to remember the name of the committee, but essentially they have... I think it's the women's committee of the IPO and within the women's committee they had something about underrepresented inventors and now it's just and so they call it the the diversity toolkit so initially it was a gender diversity toolkit to help you know reach more inventors but now it's just diversity toolkit because it's all underrepresented inventors not just based on gender so the IPO um, has that diversity toolkit which is very helpful and that it's not just things that you can do to reach the inventors, it's also before that, how do you get your executives on board to realize that this is a problem mm-hmm. and that should be solved. So the, the IPO toolkit is very helpful. Another one um, is the Santa Clara University Law School. They met with a whole bunch of in-house counsel at different companies and you know asked them what they're doing. And so they came out with the best practices. Uh, I forget if they called it a manual or a guidebook or a toolkit, but Santa Clara University Law School is another great publication to read. The Intellectual Property Owners Association and Santa Clara Law School, those are the two best ones so far in terms of amassing a bunch of recommendations from different sources together. I mean, you can also look up individual companies now have you know reports or articles or websites where they focus on their own efforts, which is also helpful. So that, that's what I would say if you're just starting out in this area. One other resource I want to mention is the increasing diversity and innovation organization, which they had a conference back in 2021. They're having a new conference now in 2023, coming up in August 1st. They have a diversity pledge that companies join, saying that, that they are going to try to improve the diversity of their inventors at their company um, in terms of people participating in their patent process. And so that's another good source of information. So that's increasing diversity and innovation.
1: Labra, I think that's where I met you, is that we were both on uh, some committees there and, and discussing, you know, how to measure these things and how we were moving forward with that. I did want to say just something else about that conference, which I was very impressed that that conference is being held or sponsored by the U.S. Patent Office. You know, as you said, you know, this sort of all got kicked off by this report that the Patent Office put together and then everybody, uh, you know, working um, towards trying to make progress. And, you know, sounds like Western Digital has done a really, you know, a leader in, in the space of making measurable progress there. So very exciting to, uh, to see it kind of come full circle and and uh, have a conference where everybody can get together and, and talk about, you know, what progress has happened over the past several years.
2: Yeah. And it's nice that the conference is hybrid. So if you're in the D.C. area or have the means to travel to the D.C. area, you can see it in person at the PTO or you can attend virtually.
1: Yeah, I'm really glad that they're doing that, especially now, like you were saying, you know, we kind of just got through COVID and now we're all at budget cuts, you know, (laughs) and it really uh, is nice that they've that they've made both options available. We
2: really want all of our technical staff to be participating in the patent process. We don't want those ideas to be left behind. Because if they're not disclosed to the legal department, to the patent department, we can't protect them, you know, and they might go into the products, but they're not going to become trade secrets. They're not going to become patents. And so they're not benefiting the company as much as they could be. And I'm not even talking about people coming up with new ideas. These are just the ideas they come up with on a daily basis during their jobs. They just need to disclose them in an invention disclosure to us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just so important to get everyone involved and everyone to feel like they can contribute and know how to right? and know, know where to go. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. What great progress. But I think a lot of passion and it really comes through in this podcast. So thank you so much for sharing all your insights and, um, you know, the details of how this program came about and hope to uh, see you at that conference
2: in August. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. It was great talking with you guys. Thanks for inviting me.
1: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Semi-Interesting Podcast. You can find more episodes wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube.
0: And if you enjoyed the episode, we always appreciate five-star reviews. While we talked about legal issues, none of the information shared during this podcast is intended to be legal advice. If you have any questions about information we cover or ideas for a future episode, feel free to contact me or the other attorneys at Hodgson Russ, you can find contact information at www.hodgsonross.com.